Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 939 with Chef Joe Frillman. And and if you are not truly enjoying what you're doing, it's still work, no matter what. And if you're not showing up to work with some sort of gusto, some sort of, I really live this, breathe this, um, and enjoying yourself, what is the point of doing any of this? Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program this is something that's never been done before this 60-day event is at no cost to you but it's not for everyone fred langley ceo of restaurant systems pro will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the restaurant system pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants fred will teach you recipe costing cards guidance in your books for accounting cash control sales forecasting checklist budgeting for the entire year scheduling for profit it more butts and seats and that's not it if you are interested in this head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp that's rsp for restaurant systems pro www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp Today's episode is brought to you by Pop Menu, and restaurants have been hit hard over the past last years, which means restaurant owners and their staff have been working harder than ever, trying to meet the expectations of in-person hospitality can be demanding, which is why I recommend Pop Menu Answering. Pop Menu Answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity because it uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines, like... Can I make a reservation or where are you located? And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system. For a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, executive chef and proprietor of Daisy's, Chef Joe Frillman. My man, Joe, are you feeling unstoppable today? We are we are absolutely feeling unstoppable yes. today, yes. Glad to hear it, man. Thank you so much for making time for us today. I heard such great things about you and what you're doing here. In the one hour I had to really dive deep into your story, I love your pedigree. I love the, the, the journey you took to get here. Mm. I love the, the values you've injected into your business, especially with the 25% uh, service charge. I'm hoping we can talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I love what, what's happening here. Yeah, but before we dive into who you are, mm. into how you got to where you are today, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us oh man i since culinary school and i'll never forget it my this one culinary school teacher he really hammered it into us and it if you're not having fun you should be doing something else Ooh. and that's it and that's basically what it boils down to it's it's so important why why is that so important i mean every this is a hard every industry has their own challenges. The restaurant industry particularly um, is, is a hard grind, a daily grind. A, um, and, and if you are not truly enjoying what you're doing, if you're not making it so that you're showing up, you know, to, it's still work no matter what. And if yeah. you're not showing up to work with some sort of 
gusto, some sort of, you know, I really, I really live this, breathe this, um, and enjoying yourself. Mm. What is the point yeah, man. of doing any of this? Yeah. Because to be honest with you, you're not getting rich. You're missing your family. You're missing your friends. You're missing your life. Um, I have basically uh, taken and created my life around work. And because I enjoy it so much. Yeah. And if you don't dive in, there's so many other better ways to spend your time if if you're not enjoying what you're doing. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I necessarily I think there's some truth to work life balance. But I also think there's something to be said about just living in, on purpose, yeah. living intentionally. And instead of let your you know work life balance, your life's work. Yes. You know, I, and, and I've always viewed it as as this, you know, um, Look, you need everybody in this industry, and and they all come show up to work. They are here for everybody's here for a different reason. Mm. Uh, I was always at whatever restaurant I was working at. I always had a goal and a focus to say, "Hey, like this is my f- this is where I want to end up. This is the path I need to go to get there. I'm going to trudge through some shit to get to that point." Yeah. Um, but I still thoroughly enjoyed that part of it. I yes. enjoyed getting. I enjoyed getting into it. I enjoyed getting into the shit's the, the good it's stuff. The best man. part, and I miss it. I miss that aspect. I'm t- I'm too old to sit here and cook every day. Um, but the learning process, the constant learning, every day is different. No matter what, even if it's monotonous, it's all different. You deal with different problems. Um, I love it. I thrive on it. The people we basically get to throw a party every night of the week. And so it's yeah, a like, lot of fun. And that was going to be my follow up question along this idea of uh, if you don't love it, then don't do it. What is it? Distill what it is exactly that you love about what we, what we do here. Oh man. Um, well, the the first obvious is you know you I, I, I technically I work for myself. I guess um, there's there's nobody sitting here on a, on a daily basis telling me what to do. I've always wanted to to, to kind of work um, independently. Um, I never necessarily worked for other individuals well. Yeah. Um, I've always been that kind of, um, you know, trying to forge a path as a, a, a leadership and taking control. Yeah. And, so and one word, autonomy. Yeah. Yeah. I've always wanted that. Um, yeah. I've always, you know, thrived in that environment. I like... Um, I'm the type of person who who doesn't like being told what to do. Yeah. I like figuring it out for myself. And it's not that I it's not that it's the person telling me. It's more of like I need to figure this out for myself. Yeah. For self. It's the act of tinkering. 100%. Yeah. And so um it, it wouldn't matter who that person was mm-hmm. with that message. It was more of like I need to I need to see this for myself. I need to prove this or see this truth or work it through or make it fail. Um, so that I know how to go about the next time I do it, uh, especially if you're, you know, recipes and the whole hands-on learning thing, something that I really excelled at, um, I get that. you know, reading how are you in school, uh, good bored yeah. me to be honest with <laughs> yeah. you. Um, I, I think I was one of those people who tested really well, but didn't necessarily do the work. Yeah. Um, I'm always the kind of person who's like, look, if I know how to do this, why do I have to go through the exercises yeah. of doing it? Yeah. Um, I understand the practicing and the repetition. Uh, I, I thoroughly believe that this this line of work is a craft, so you have to hone your skills. Um, but I always, you know, I wasn't the type of person who liked reading about things. I would rather go do them. Yeah. And that was kind of how I tangibly would go through my... That's why this, this career really um, interested me. Yeah. It was like... You get to you get to fail. You get to practice. You get to, you know. I was very into sports when I was young as well. I still am, but playing sports when I was young, um, and I liken this industry to that. It's like prep and, and the day is kind of your practice on a daily basis. Service was always like the game. You're in it. You're trying to be as perfect as you possibly can. Put out the best food. Um, 
And, I hear you, man. And so that that whole like physical, um, you know, I come from a blue collar family. It was that you go to work, you go, you put your work in that day. Um, you know, reading books and all. I, I I read more now than I ever have in my entire life. Oh, we're gonna have to pull back some layers to some of those books you recommend. And there's and, a question for that. Well, you know, it's um, it's it's not necessarily all industry related things either, but um, it was when I was growing up, it was school was, um, you know, I wanted to be doing, I wish school was more focused on what you kind of intended to be. Why do I have to learn all the rest of this other stuff? That's not going to really apply to me for the rest of my life. That's the way I looked at it. Um, I like to focus on what I was doing, focus on the direction that I was trying to go. How to how do I better myself to be in this career? How do I better myself? So when did you know you wanted to be in this career? And sorry if I cut you short. Yeah, no, you're good. I mean, um, you know, I my first introduction to food um, in general, I, I was working at a farmer's market when I was like nine, ten years old. Oh, wow. Um, and that was the actual, you know, any type of um, food-related industry, if you will. Uh, we had a farm that we grew up uh, across the street from. I would kind of help them out on the weekends, taught me, how to, taught me math, taught me how to make change. There was yeah. no calculators, no, like, you show up, you set up. So you're, you're there at the five farm in the morning, farm stand. Um, I would tag along with them. Um, and I got to the point where I had my own accounts um, and would run those accounts. So I was 16. What do you mean 17. by your own accounts? Uh, they would basically say, hey, uh, you go to the, this farmer's market and you're on your own. Got and it. you're running it. And nice. you're in charge of the whole thing. You come back, you put all, you know, basically sell the produce back to whatever you don't sell. Yeah. Um, and so you would buy the, the product from the farm. Essentially, yeah. And then whatever you didn't sell, you would owe, you'd have to. What? You basically, they would buy it back from Got you. It. And yeah. so you'd basically come back as long as it was in, you know, decent shape, et cetera. Um, so that was kind of my introduction to food. Uh, my first, you know, then I started getting into restaurants. Um, 16, you know, 17. 16, 17. I was a bar back, uh, food runner. Food Runner was my very first job. Um, was it, it was, was at it Instant Love. It was. Nice. It really was. Um, more because I was kind of just like, holy, this goes on. Like, this is what actually goes on. What do you mean at this? work? Uh, everything. The the kitchen, like uh, interacting with the kitchen. And at that point, you know, you're a food runner. You're in the front of house, technically, right? And um, but you still have the interaction with the cooks. You still have the interaction what with the type line. Of interaction? Um, at that time, <laughs> this is probably man. This is. When, 19 2000 yeah, 1998 99 I would say 99 How old are you? 2000 I'm f- about to be 40 so yeah. we're about the same age I'm yeah. 37 so yeah like the late 90s early late 90s, 90s early 2000s yeah. I graduated high school in 01 um, so it was before that so, so why does the time matter so much in this I'm curious you're saying the time's different back then the times are definitely okay. a lot different we're back going then with this. <laughs> um, yeah just uh, a 16 year old you know uh, working in a kitchen with adult cooks, um, you see exposed to things that you probably weren't going to be exposed to anywhere else. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, and we look back now, and you know, it's it was a lot of fun and games, if you will, at that point in time. But we've all read Kitchen Coffee. It's all that. Yeah. Yeah, it's all that. Um, and at that time, it was just like shocking. Like yeah. this is holy shit. Yeah. I gotta be honest, man. It's that stuff that uh, appealed to me about this industry too, because I've never been like proper no you know what i mean yeah. like i never I, I was never right for like the corporate scene i could never be myself in that environment like what's the different what's the definition of a professional it's it's putting that mask on that get, allows you to get along with everybody 100 and then there was like okay i can take the mask off and go work in the restaurant yeah now. and that's what i love about it though like you can be yourself i i 
wholeheartedly dove in. Well, we got to be careful today. I think, Absolutely. I think there's a, a little bit of that corporate structure might be bleeding over into our world. It, it of, is. Of and, the but, line of professionals. And that's not a bad thing by any means. Yeah. Um, there's definitely, but when I first got into it and, and kind of saw, you know, um, it was action, lively, busy, yeah. you know, and then the first place I was at it was you know it was a bar so it was like then the patrons they're you know yeah. you're as a 16 year old kid you're exposed to things with 21 year old drinking <laughs> and dropping food at tables and and you know the the servers and the the interactions between the servers and cooks and chefs and the drinking and all the drug uh, yeah. use and yeah. all the things that went on um it was like a rock concert all the time um and at when you're 16 years old like that's a really appealing thing for sure um you know i read that kitchen confidential yeah. put me over the top and was just like this is this is something that um an industry that i kind of just gravitated towards. this is the burbs of chicago right? it was yeah so and and the crazy thing was at that time no one would no one would hire me in the kitchen you needed um, some sort of man, experience. Oh my god! <laughs> I think back, like man, I would have, you know, I would have hired myself instantly. Right. Um, but no, I, I um, you know, I from that job, you know, went to a very um, a very competitive high school in the suburbs of North of Chicago here, um, and school, you know, like I said, wasn't necessarily my number one focus. Uh, I left to uh go you know our high school pushed everybody to go to college that was part of their thing like yeah. we want that statistic yeah um this helps with our yeah taxes. and and <laughs> honestly like looking back we had guidance counselors and all these things like totally steered me in the wrong direction to go to a university uh, i went to northern northern michigan university in marquette michigan it's the upper peninsula of michigan middle of fucking nowhere yeah um loved it spent two years there uh was studying architecture um and really realized that I this just this, this isn't for me. Um, I come like I said, come. You know, my dad was uh, an electrician who worked on telephone lines for um, you know uh, what's it uh, Ameritech or AT and T now. Okay. Um, he you know worked uh, forty years there. Um, my you know I have a my older brother is a carpenter. He's in the union. My younger brother is a farmer. He basically farms produce for us yeah <laughs> i mean it's um and it's so it's it work has always been um kind of ingrained into us like you got yeah. to work so to go out this brother that's a farmer today did he work at the same farm as you is that how we got to start we grew up like they were part of our daily lives yeah. like we literally grew up across the street from them um and they were the like the last farm holdout in in this area if you will suburbia kind of grew up around us we grew up on eight acres of property that they actually farmed as well so um we were basically on a farm every day yeah we weren't we weren't the actual people working that farm but we were there all the time we saw everything we were inundated to it i knew you know what vegetables were which vegetables uh the types the varieties the seasons i was exposed to all that at a young age got it um and sorry keep going and so that was kind of like i said my introduction to that um but then you know when i was growing up we didn't have cable um i was watching pbs all the time and at that time my tv shows were julia child yankan cook frugal gourmet um i think he got canceled before canceling was being cool and then it was um but it was it was all those kind of cooking shows and you know my my mom would just be like this kid's just watching cooking shows all the time it's kind of weird um 
grew up in a family that uh, kind of revolved around the table. We would eat all the time. Um, but I think that's a lost art. And this is something that I thought was my, my, my dad, 100% Italian. And yeah. It was a big part of his culture growing up. And I grew up at a dinner table. My, yeah. like Every night there was a cooked meal. Yep. I didn't realize that, that wasn't common. No. Um, and it's even less common now. And, and that was a big, no matter what we, you know, it was like my mom was making one dinner you either eat that dinner or you ain't going to eat. And so it didn't really matter what it was. Um, not everything was from scratch all the time. A lot of it sometimes was, especially special occasions, things like that. Um, so a lot of my early food memories revolve around, or uh, early memories revolve around food with um, you know my grandmother, uh, parties. A lot of our family is in this industry as well. Yeah. Um, cousin had a restaurant for about 15 years out in the suburbs. Um, my great grand or my great grandmother had a restaurant on Western Avenue over here. So bar it's restaurants. DNA, it's uh, apparently in the yeah. lot, the farther we go back and we, we find more and more people in the industry. It kind of makes a little bit more sense of, you know, um, my dad's constantly like, yeah, this was just ingrained in you. So you, so at an early age, you kind of had an idea. This is what I want to do, but it doesn't seem like until maybe 2006 is where in my research, you really start taking this like, this is yeah. like where you're starting to maybe be a little bit more intentional with where you're, you're working to get ahead. Yeah, I think um, I was all my, you know, I just uh, took a trip with my father and we talked about a lot of stuff and he was like, we didn't even know that you wanted to do this until you came, basically came home from college saying, hey, this is what I want to do. What'd you go to school for? Um, architecture is what I originally went for in Northern Michigan and I just drank my face off. I was like, there's no, you know, out of the house. Your GPA, 18, your first semester? Oh, oh man. I mean, it was, pro- I mean, if it was above one, I would be surprised. Mine was a one point one. I think it just was like, barely. Made I think it, it was like point <laughs> seven something. Um, we had a we had a you know a nice talk. Pulled those things up. I think I end left there with like a two point something. Yeah, I don't know where I would have been without Concerto or Adderall. It was yeah. Well, I needed that. <laughs> it was a ski town, so we just would ski. You know, yeah. skip class, go skiing. Um, came home. They had a culinary program there, and and I actually thought about going into it, but I ended up coming home and just telling my dad like, hey, I, this is where I think. I want to do started at a culinary uh, sorry community college um, and took the class and was like you know what like really super into it Um, talked to them about making a a jump to a a bigger school if you will Um, which hindsight probably the wrong choice just from a from the amount of student loans etc that go through it yeah and that college is now closed and my degree is basically (laughs) worthless but uh, I ended up going to another uh, culinary school in the city, and that's when I actually started kind of taking things seriously. I was working at, you know, a friend of mine had a pizzeria um, that he just opened up in the suburbs. He ran it by himself. It was not a sit-down. It was mostly takeout. Best pizza still to this day that I think I've ever had. Um, but uh, Give him a shout-out. Uh, Rita Piaz was the name of it. Uh, Tony Fontanini, he was just a friend from high school. Um, his, his family had a sausage company here in Chicago It's one of the most Chicago nice. stories there is. Um, and so, but it basically, um, you know, I would go and show up and just work in to learn work, hang out, didn't pay me. I would just hang out, learning how to make pizzas, learning how to cater parties. Doing that's a good things sign, like that. man. If you're willing to do it for free, you might um, be on the right path. I was just washing you're dishes. You're going to be doing it for free. For yeah. The rest of your life. And that's the way I let, you know, I didn't know that at that time, but, um, I think a lot of this, um, that first experience really was like reaffirming for like, Hey, I really enjoy this. All right. I'm actually going to go to school. And he was like, what are you going to school for? I can teach you all this stuff here. <laughs> and, um, but I went to Illinois Institute of Art in Chicago. Um, and that was, was 
great. It was not great at the same time, but there were the few individuals that I really, really learned from, um, made a huge difference in the and it's all about kind of connections who you know put you on the right path the university of chicago the illinois institute uh, of chicago uh, illinois institute of chicago. they're no one, they don't they don't exist anymore but i mean that's the one thing and i i kind of lean in the same direction as you um i don't think if you want to get into this industry college is a good idea personally agreed because of what will happen when you come out mm. and i think the best education is just if you're 17 18 years old you want to do this Go get on the road. Yeah. Go hoof it. You can fall so hard on your face during that time, and getting up is not hard. Mom and dad, they're always an option. 100%. You know, you can recover when you need to. Just go get that experience and just get perspective. Live and figure out what it is exactly that you love, what, which vertical you love about this industry. For sure. Yeah. And I tried that. Um, and even before I was at, you know, while I was at school, um, even before I went to school, there was a couple of restaurants in the suburbs that I was just heard, had heard about, yeah. tried to get into, would not just like, you have no experience yeah. in the kitchen. See you later. I did want to come full, full circle on that. note. there is value in going to a university. If you recognize the value of the network absolutely, and going to like a CIA, for example, you're going to pay for that. But if you're like 24, 25 years old yeah. and you're not fucking around, if you, if you <clears> can <throat> use that. Like there are so many connections, dude. You can that will open up. You're really paying to get doors open up. Absolutely, I 100 percent agree. Uh, and they will open doors for you, and, and they'll get you into great establishments. Yep. And I think that's don't squander that. Yeah, like I agree. That's the opportunity there. Well, there's also been, and I'm I'm part of this. Like ten, you know, ten years ago, every single chef that you'd ask on the street, like, is culinary school worth it? And they'd be like, absolutely not. Yeah, don't but, don't even waste your time. Yeah. But now what we're seeing, especially is culinary school after culinary school closing, yeah. there's only a few left, is we've never had more training to do. There's not kids that are coming out of school like they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they come here, for better or worse, because a lot of times we like to train you the way that we do things, and, and it's great to have you kind of from yeah. – the, the start but not how to hold the knife and that's you know and <laughs> yeah. so we see a lot less of that yeah. and so that that time um you know I, I think there's a lot of tangible skills that are taught there i don't think it needs to be the price that yeah. it was mm-hmm. um and i think there's but a lot at of the same time the consumer drives that because we as the consumer want the fancy dorm rooms the nice things and the schools have to do that to compete with each other yeah so i mean it's, i think we need to like we bitch and moan a lot as consumers yeah. like, blah 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 but the truth is the market reacts to us yes <laughs> like and we brought it here it's I, because of us 100 percent agree and and you know it I still went ahead. Um, I had credits from uh, you know whatever credits I had from the previous university that I was at. I got a fast track at the school, so I was there for only about a year. Um, so I just learned basically the 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 knife holding, the the actual tangible skills that you need for the job. Um, but I also met a couple instructors that to this day I still talk to probably on a weekly basis. Like just good people who are still in the industry um, that um, are that kind of you know guiding moral compass but also from a business perspective they've had all sorts of jobs in their career and i can reach out to them at any time they yeah. put me in contact with great people and vice versa yeah. like we've actually uh, like i said I, I talk to these guys almost on a weekly basis which i love is it and there cool. there is something to be said about that network and but most 18 year olds don't recognize that no not at all and they just 
party their face off. Yeah. It's, and, it's, it's and definitely that, not worth it. That's why that, I, was, <laughs> I, was, I was specific about the 24 and 25 year olds. Yeah. Because they got that out of their system. Yep. And they discovered food later and they take it seriously. Yeah. And, and that's what I needed to, you know, I came back from school. I was 2021, 20, got enrolled in these programs, started working here and there, whatever I could. And then um, while I was still in school before I graduated, I ended up, um, one of the, you know, at the time, one of the big name chefs in the city of Chicago, uh, Rick Tremonto, he was opening up his suburban restaurant. Um, and it just happened to be, you know, a mile down the street from where I grew up. And I was just like, I got to go work here. This is, you know, this is the, I knew the name from the city. Um, and while I was in school, I was commuting from the suburbs to the city on a daily basis. And this just happened to be close to work. So I was like, it was very, conducive to um my schedule so i would actually get up go to school at 7 a.m um get downtown be in class get out of class at three go straight back to the restaurant from there work from four until midnight um close the restaurant and then go straight back to uh school the next day yeah um so i was you know really humping at that point but that introduction getting hired there basically put me in contact and met the people that i would be with for the rest of my career to this yeah, day yeah. put me where i'm supposed to be so this is around 2006 um there was mm. uh oisteria de oisteria de tremonto de tremonto mm-hmm. thank you um from this point if you if we're maybe it is at this point but if you could i mean from from 2006 to basically 2015 mm. you were working for other people right? yeah so um at uh oisteria de tremonto there was uh the guy who was in charge of the entire thing is uh is, Chris Pandell. Um, he is currently the chef of Swift and Sons and Sierra. He's part of the Boca group uh, here in Chicago. Worked for him on and off. Uh, so I met him in 2005, six. Um, he, you know, he's, his resume is, in, you know, incredible. He was in New York, spent times with Andrew Carmelini, um, at Cafe Balloon, you know, just one of the most technically advanced cooks I've ever met in my entire life. Um, and he was, in charge of the entire operation out there. Um, but he wanted to do his own thing and basically opened up a restaurant here in Chicago called the Bristol. Um, he was the chef owner, opening chef owner of that restaurant. And basically once we found out he was leaving, I was that guy who was going up to him and you know, he had a corporate job. So he was probably, I don't know, nine to five and nine to three. And let's be honest where it was like coming up with, um, recipes, making sure everything was in line. He was in charge of four restaurants out there. His day wasn't crazy. Yeah. He was bored out of his mind. I was the guy coming up, tugging on the shirt sleeve, like, hey, show me how to butcher a salmon. Hey, yeah. show me how to sear mushrooms properly. Show me how to uh, roll a torchon. Um, and that was on my time. That was like, and fortunately, the proximity to the restaurant, I could go in there at any time, off the clock, of course, um, and be like, can you show me this today? And, yeah. and, and a lot of those things, especially from that time, um, I just found somebody who... Um, wanted to teach and mentor and i just happened to be that person who honestly wouldn't leave him alone yeah but what's the underlying message here what's the lesson um you get what you (laughs) you you know and i and i i personally tell this to everybody who comes in this we go as far as we take ourselves Mm -hmm. and a lot of it is you want to um, the squeaky wheel gets yeah, the, the grease. Yeah, the um, grease, if you're going to sit back and expect people to come to you to give you anything, you're probably not going to go very yeah. far. Um, I've always 
been that person. You want something, you got to go get it. And um, I think there's a two prong lesson here too, from your perspective, from the the student perspective. Hmm. Go find that person. Absolutely. And put the and, get, and be this. Ask the questions. People in this industry are passionate about it, just like you are. Oh yeah. And when you when they see your passion, the, it, it ignites reignites the passion for them too. And beyond that, I think the other lesson is if you're listening to this and you're in this role of mentorship and you if you have people that are coming up to you asking you questions, take the time to give the answer. Oh yeah. Be, and, be the mentor. Well, right? you never know where that's going to end up yeah. because then you know I work with this individual for the next ten years on and on. Um, I took a break from, you know, once, um, I ended up leaving that restaurant, uh, and, you know, I went abroad to, um, work, uh, just outside of London. And at that time, um, I wanted to see what the best was and applied to basically, uh, be a stagiaire at, uh, the fat duck in London, outside of London. At the time it was the number two restaurant in the world. I wanted to see what that looked like yeah um and i just wrote him a letter and said hey i don't really know anything <laughs> I, I, like nothing um and this was my like osteria di tramonto was my first like professional kitchen um hierarchy and the, the shenanigans if you will um and and getting put in place and learning your lessons etc um paying your dues if you will um I was exposed to all of those things there and but that was you know my knowledge and experience wasn't wasn't epic it wasn't crazy and I think that was part of the reason why these you know I wrote them a letter saying I don't know anything and they're like cool come over here yeah. it's exactly what we're looking for yeah. um got to spend you know 3 months there and it was just um intense how did you grow during this time um <laughs> well um talk about being put in in your place if you will uh coming in you know uh, i have a sometimes a loud personality um and coming into a very structured reserved um intense environment you won't do well if you're if you're that kind of unless you fall in line if you will um and so there was a lot of lessons where it was basically hey we got to break this individual before we can teach him oh my god um and yes do you have a good story i mean there's so many i mean you mean the most humiliating like oh god damn what did you do and how did they put you in your place well i mean there was there was one guy that i you know he's still out there i i have talked to him here and there and I still keep up with a lot of these guys. They're they're The cooks there are doing just incredible things now, which was expected because they're where they were at. But um, there was this one guy, Nico, and, and he was one of the sous chefs there and he was the fastest prep guy I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, technically just unbelievable still had um, all of his fingers he had all his fingers wow. uh he's from argentina um and he would just ride me <laughs> like it was his job um and and part of that was because honestly i had a lip and it was like i had something to say and um and he purposefully went after that and 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 knocked that um down and there was one day and I can't even remember I said something back, but I know I spent the rest of the afternoon picking up cigarette butts with one by one with basically tweezers. And that was my experience from that. It's not cooking. It was like, you go out there and pick up all this bullshit. You go out there and sweep all this stuff up. Um, can I, can I, what kind of stuff would, would he say to you? Or what kind of, like, how, well, you said he, he would ride. You. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was constantly, you're slow, you're slow. Okay. Like, <laughs> you know, if, and especially at that point, it would be, there was a lot of mind games of like, um, here you, you'd come in and your daily prep would be 
basically Brunois everything. Okay. And, um, and it was sit down and he'd walk up after two hours of you basically Brunoiring, Brunoiring your cucumbers or whatever it was. And he would look, sift through straight to the trash or <laughs> straight to thank you. I needed that. And then he would go over and sweat it down and drop it in a blender and puree the whole thing because he needed it to sweat evenly. Um, and hours and hours of work spent doing those types of things. And, and honestly, there were, you know, um, humbling to say the least and understanding the discipline and the amount of patience um, and, and dedication it takes to achieve something at that level. Um, and in hindsight, like, you know, did all that stuff actually matter for the actual flavors and things of the dish? Not necessarily. Um, but it's more of the discipline to get you into this, the routine and the structure and the consistency to make sure that everything you're doing is focused in the attention that the amount of focus and attention it takes to pull something off at that level is insane. And I think that just bled through for the rest of my career, the amount of attention to detail um, and the amount of work and backbreaking, um, you know, time spent over a table and dedication to the craft. Um, it really kind of, um, set the tone for the rest of my career and my expectations. Not that we do those things here, but it also it's not just in the the actual work. It's in how you're organized. It's how your um, how you spend your day. Is it structured? Is it written out? Do you yeah. have plans for it? Are it was, you actually yeah. organizing? It was a whole new reference point. For Hundred absolutely. And I that's mean, the cool thing about getting being able to, when you don't go to culinary school, like mm. you you graduate, you might be paying four hundred five hundred bucks a month. Uh, living in the city, uh, making what twenty bucks an hour, maybe, and not then, <laughs> yeah. But you know, like the point is that you can't get you can't give yourself no. these perspectives. No way. Uh, in some cases, you know, no, and especially if you're not privileged. No, and I. So then I ended up in in to get to that point. Like, um, I took another. Uh, so during school, I took another job at a cell phone store. So I was selling cell phones. I was working in a restaurant. I was going to school. I sold my car. And my, you know, my dad and parents are sitting here like, this dude keeps taking jobs that are less and less money every <laughs> single time he goes somewhere. And now he's basically paying to go work for free uh, in another country to spend and living there. And he's like, these people aren't paying you? Like, I don't, I could, he could not understand yeah. what this was and why I'm doing this. But they were things. paying you, weren't they? They were paying me with the experience and the knowledge yeah. that I gained. And I'll, yeah. I'll never, ever... Um, you know, I know there's there's um, disputes to those things now, but I would not be in the same place I unless I balance. did those things. I, I know, man, I agree. I think there's a balance to be met. Um, there's definitely something to say. There's more. There assets come in many different shapes and forms. Mm. It's not just monetary. Uh, your network is an asset. You're leaving these jobs to get out to go tap into a whole new network of individuals that will open doors for you if you bust your ass and you have what it takes. And I think that's undervalued in this industry. 100% network. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, would it have been nice if I got some sort of compensation? Yeah. yeah, of course. But I also think that learning how to figure that part of my life out was a huge part of the story going forward when you're trying to open your own business, when you're trying to do your own thing. Um, when, when I, you know, I traveled, um, I've had the opportunity to travel multiple times by myself for multiple multiple uh, month stints, and it, you learn so much about yourself and what you basically um, are able to do. Especially, you know, London was easy because we speak the language. But next time I went back to Italy, and you don't speak a word, and you're in a place that 
doesn't typically see Americans often, you, you're put in a whole different, you know, you really see what you're capable of, what your, um, the experience of another person's culture, another person's food. Definitely helps you empathize with oh, migrants absolutely. and like, uh, minorities in America. Absolutely. Right? Like, oh, yeah, it's hard, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, you know, especially it's not like you know, uh, I, I didn't have massive pockets full of money taking me to all these places that I could. It was it was very um, backpack on your back, town to town, figuring out where you're going the next time you're there. Um, you, you scrap, you scrape by, you become yeah. a scrappy individual and it really puts you in a not comfortable position. Mm-hmm. So let's zoom up to 30,000 feet along this theme of transformation and, mm. and growth because that's wh- where we like to focus on how you grow and where you went to grow um looking forward to like the next steps you made along the way without getting into any detail just tell us the stops yeah like, bristol in locations bristol was 2008 and yeah. that was basically like graduate school for coloring school for okay. me um the after that we i spent a, uh, so a year through europe right yeah i went to europe in 2010 um when i got back um I went to work for a chef named Paul Verant. He was opening a restaurant with the Boca Group here in Perennial Verant. His whole focus is char- you know, charcuterie, um, pickling, preserving, fermenting, uh, preservation, Got and it. locality was Got a it. huge thing of his. Uh, after that, left him, stayed in the same restaurant group, and opened a restaurant called Balena. Uh, that was in 2012. Yeah. Left there in 2015. Took some time off. Took some time off, and I did consulting uh, across the country with a hotel group that was opening hotels in college towns. So okay. basically, my job was to go in and um, theme out the restaurants because there was always a cafe, there was a rooftop restaurant, and then there was an actual um, uh, sit-down restaurant on the main floor. Usually, it was multifaceted, and it was whole thing was like to and theme out to whatever the college was and where we were. So it was like Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, Oxford, Mississippi, um, places that I probably wouldn't go to uh, if I wasn't involved in that. And there was just an unbelievable experience, different parts of the country, different cultures, um, really cool experience from that part. But also setting up restaurants and opening. So I got to see that part of... You know. That's huge too. And I think that's something that's really important. If you want to open a restaurant, it's one thing to work in restaurants for established restaurants. It's another thing to know how to open a restaurant. It's oh, absolutely. A whole different set of skills. Absolutely. So I think that if you're trying to round yourself off as a future restaurant tour, mm-hmm. that needs to be an experience you give yourself. Go open <clears> restaurants <throat> for somebody else on their dot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I was uh, fortunate enough to be a part of, at that point, six different restaurant openings at a different level. So the very first one we opened was Osteria Tremonta. I was a prep cook. That's a totally different experience. Yeah. Have you as a prep cook? No one gives a shit. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're, you're so you were the there owner. for the, the opening of Osteria? I was. And then the same for Bristol. Uh, Bristol. Perennial. Perennial. And Belena. Belena. All those restaurants, you were there. Uh-huh. That's also a great technique, yep. too. Like find out restaurant groups that are successful constantly opening oh, yeah. new restaurants and just be and like find out where the openings are and, and just be a part of that from day one. And I knew after my experience with Bristol and Chris um, and seeing what he was able to do, pull off creatively. um, I knew that I wanted to do that. And I basically made that known and it was like, Hey, this is what I I want my own restaurant one day. Yeah. Um, And whether that's for a group or whatever, I want it to be mine. Yeah. Um, And, and that was kind of, he pushed me in that direction and he 
placed me in a lot of those places that he knew that that was going to happen. So I got to be on a lot of those opening staffs. So on this, again, this idea of transformation growth, which, at which one of these stops do you think you grew the most as a professional? Or was there a key mentor? Professional was, um, I mean, it was definitely Belena. I was in charge of the entire restaurant. I mean, um, how, how did you grow? Who were you going into that restaurant? Who were you coming out of it? I was a child going into that restaurant who was in charge of a multi-million dollar a year restaurant when I, when I left. So you're like 26, 27 years old. 27. Right? Late 20s? Yep, yeah. 27. Um, and I took that over, and my goal at that time was to have a restaurant by the time I was 30. Um, and that was not the case, but that was just what I wanted to it do. Weren't that far off, though. No, I wasn't. Um, and it was, you know, humbling to be in charge. You know, we were doing at that point it was like five and a half, six million a year, and I'm a 27 year old kid who's never run a restaurant in my entire life before. Um, but we, you know, I was very fortunate to work with great people. Um, the general manager of that restaurant was um, the reason why I am where I am right now. Why? She made me do her job. <laughs> she made you do her job. 100%. What do you mean by that? Um, she was the general manager of the restaurant and I was constantly being given things that weren't my job yeah. and I was like, why am I doing this? And hindsight, and we're still great friends to this yeah. day, um, she basically put me through, like, she's like, you know how to cook. You know how to do those things. You have those skills. You have that skill set. You need to understand how to run the entire restaurant. Yeah. Um, What's that? Why? Why? Um, Oh man. Because if you might have to. (laughs) If you're if the goals that I have, I mean, you know, in in I don't have any other operating partners on a day to day basis. Yeah. Um, I am in charge of everything. And yeah. when we came into this restaurant, we had a front of house um, you know, partner who we worked, you know, he has different skill sets. Do I know everything about wine? Absolutely not. Um, but I needed to learn the skill set of how to run service, of how to run payroll, of how to pay your employees, how to pay taxes, how to navigate the city. All of those things you don't learn in a kitchen. You don't learn just being stuck and put into place. And I didn't ever want to be in a position where I didn't know everything that was going on because I know a lot of people and a lot of friends who have been put in positions where they didn't know the other side of the story and they're at the end of the day holding the bag. Yeah. And I hate, I mean, I'm only using this as an example because it was a recent interview, but it's a great example. Yeah. Like you can look at uh, Michael Muser and Chef Duffy with Grace. Yes. Right. Exactly. So um, they, they were hired as employees and they basically, they were the reason why that restaurant was successful. Right. But because, but they didn't own it and they, they were staying in their lanes. Uh, I'm making some stretches here. I don't know the exact, I wasn't behind the scenes there, but uh, it just goes to show that like um, you need to be, I think maybe that's too much of a stress, but the idea that I'm thinking is like, it's one thing to be an executive chef Mm -hmm. where you run the kitchen and you do costing and ordering and stuff like this and writing the menu. But there's so much more, to owning a restaurant. It is just... It, it, you, 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 you have to get out of that. If you want to own, you, you have to get beyond the cooking. Yes. And that's what she was doing for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and again, at the time, I didn't, you know, um, and she's one of the better... She's the best GM I've ever yeah. worked with, period. And I think the, the analogy I was trying to make, the connection I was trying to make with Grace is that they were so nose down in their lanes yes. that they didn't pay attention to the partnership agreement. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like Absolutely. The, the parts about running the business that yes. will protect you. Like, like the, you're making, like this, this restaurant is based off our names, off our skills, yep. and you, the owners, are benefiting from it. Like stuff like that. You, know, like you have to expose yourself to that part of the business as well. And there's, you know, 
there's I've worked for amazing owners and I've worked for the absolute opposite of that. Mm-hmm. And seeing some of the people my mentors put through a lot of those relationships, um, I learned what best not to do from a lot of the people that I worked for. And those are the best lessons that I've ever learned. What are those lessons? Uh, Well, treat your staff better is Mm -hmm. definitely one of them. Um, You know, and and again, in hindsight, just taking advantage of exponentially. Um, When 15 hour days and shift pays, and we want to go back and talk about a lot of the stuff that, you know, we wouldn't be in the same position if I didn't necessarily do it, but it's was always made out to be like, Hey, we don't have the resources to take care of you when that I know after seeing what's actually capable, that that's just not the truth um, for the amount of success that we saw at those restaurants. Um, and seeing, you know, the, those individuals coming in and you're, you know, at that time, student loans out the ass and, and making pennies for, for the actual work that we're doing. Um, and seeing those, you know, seeing your owner come in with a brand new coat or brand new, it's like, Hey man, yeah. like I thought you didn't have money to pay us for all this other thing or on their trips or doing the things they did. So, um, you know, a lot of those things, the, the taking care of your employees, um, you know, was, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have health insurance for 10 years. Yeah. Like that basic necessities, like you, we are the people who are producing like you said, a lot of the things that are making um, the face, the names of these restaurants, and you're you're basically kind of treated as an afterthought in yeah. a lot of the in a lot of the cases. So we, you know, um, and now that's only a few places. I was also really fortunate to work for some just unbelievable restaurateurs who who didn't see it that way. What, how did they see? Give me paint that picture of what they did that was right. Um, well, they and gave free, you a basic living wage first and foremost. Yeah. Um, but feel also, feel free to mention names on this. Yeah, part. that's not you know I, I'm wary of people, especially if you know the city, they'll know this. But we're saying good things. Good now, things. Right? Boca Restaurant Group's amazing. Yeah, that, that's what I thought we had. Loved absolutely no. Good people. Loved working. Yeah. Loved working with them. Loved the opportunities that they gave me. The people that we got to meet. The connections that we got to meet across the country yeah. and the people that they would bring in, but they also paid for us to yeah. be there. They paid for our insurance. They, you know, we made sure that um, the environments that we were in, we were taking trips, we were doing certain things to continue education, yeah. but they also uh, they hired the right people and they let them do their jobs. Yeah. We've had Kevin Bame on the show twice now. Dude, and uh, one of my mentors that I've just had the opportunity to this day, he will call me randomly just to be like, what's up? That dude has 20-something restaurants. There's no reason he should be calling me to figure out what my day is like. I'm Joe Schmo from East Bumfuck, New Hampshire, and I will text him or I'll email him, and within the day, he gets back to me. It's wild. I'm like, whoa. It's wild. Why are you making time for me right now? You know, everybody has their own perspectives, and everybody has their own, you know, has worked in, in a lot of these places, but my experience with these individuals has been nothing but exactly the way I wanted to run my company, exactly the way I wanted to run my business. And a lot of things that we do here are modeled off of what they did there because yeah. we saw it work. They, they just, they understood that they are not, they hired these people for the jobs to yeah. do and they let them do their jobs. Can you paint a picture? I mean, you're saying they took care of our employees. They paid us well, but can you paint a picture, share a story of just like really deliver the message of what taking care of your employees looks like. What's something that this group did for you that was just way unnecessary, but like just a shining example of what going to the next level looks like. Oh, I mean, specific things like that. I honestly, sometimes 
I'm putting you on the spot right now. Um, but sometimes just as simple as recognition and, uh, there's like, oh, I just talked to Kathleen Wood and she said the four R's. It's like rewards, recognition, uh, relationships, and like, uh, I don't know, but it's, it's literally just recognizing somebody, seeing somebody, and taking the time to go through your Rolodex or your contacts list and say, haven't talked to this person in a while. Yeah, and just I, think, seeing I think a lot of it from, the, you know, I had direct access, and again, the group was a lot smaller at this time as well, but I had direct access to all these individuals. Oh, respect was the other R, sorry. Oh, yeah, but that, and that was it. It was, um, one, they weren't mailing it in. They were there, they were, they were in their restaurants, they were part of the operations, they were part of, the, of, of every meeting. Um, they rep- weren't pushing, they were pulling. Uh, absolutely. And, yeah. and, and that was, one thing was the respect first and foremost. It's like, these guys are involved. They know what's going on. They're not sitting from a, you know, a far off place, um, kind of just looking at numbers on a page. It was them taking the time to get to know the people who were actually in their restaurants, running their restaurants. Um, and they had, you know, they allowed us to make mistakes. They allowed us to learn those those um, on the company dime, if you will. Um, but at the same time, there would be, you know, a recognition of like, hey, you have great quarters. We, but at the same time, when there's bad things, it was more focus of like, hey, this is how we get out of this. This is how we focus on this. This is what we're going to do here, here, here. The lessons and the the ability to have access to them, I think, was the thing that appealed to me the most. I could always ask these individuals a question if I was ever in a in a spot. Um, but knowing that they had my back um, through thick through thick or thin, I think was a comforting place that I knew I could go and actually have a conversation with these people that was going to have a, uh, an outcome that was conducive to a solution as opposed to a yelling, screaming, threatening anything. It was more of like, okay, this is the problem. Let's, let's see how we can solve this problem, um, either collectively or on your own, which sometimes was the necessary lesson that I had to learn. You got yourself into this. Let's see if you can get out of it. That's one thing that Pandel would do to me all the time was just putting me in a position not to fail. And he was never going to let you, no matter what, he'd come in and, and, but to see how far you could go down to get yourself out of that situation. Yeah. And whether that's in the line and prep and service or whether that's on a number on a P&L and you're just hemorrhaging money or employees or whatever it is, um, And and this might be different now, um, but at that time, each restaurant that they had kind of operated on their own systems and what worked for that restaurant and that space and that cuisine and that food kind of was able to operate in that space. Um, I'm sure it's more streamlined now because it's a bigger company and you need to kind of maximize purchasing power, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but they hired the right people and they let us kind of sort things out on our own. Not in a, not in a, you're on your own situation, but like with our guidance, with our mentor. Um, and then, you know, the other resources that they had in the group for us as well. Um, you know, we could have conversations with these other great individuals that would work in their company. How are you guys doing this over here? We would go, you know, I would spend a day staging at other restaurants to see how they were doing it over there. Or, well, technically I was getting paid for it because you're on salary, but yeah. going to see how the other places were doing uh, other restaurants. health insurance at this point too, right? What? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, and that's finally got, insured, finally got insured. Um, and it was, they let, you know, they let us, they let me menu wise. It wasn't, 
there was no like micromanaging of like this has to be on the menu this has to you know this this or this or you have to come put tasting you know taste this food through us it was like you guys have the ability and the talent we hired you for a reason this is your lane this is your lane stay <laughs> yeah, in it if yeah. you need help and outside of that and and being able to grow and, and kind of move and push from from that um really allowed me the freedom to kind of find myself as a as a cook as a person um and you know in a company that large they deal with a lot of stupid shit um as well yeah and they had a the the you know the hr team and the resources the office managing the um what we were actually in charge of on a daily basis was really empowering to to know how to do a lot of the things as opposed to just like things being done for you or i I liked i like i'm a why guy i'd like to know why i'm doing this where'd you get that from simon sinek (laughs) no i (laughs) that's just i've always been that guy um i've always said that is like um if I'm going to be doing something, I, I, I kind of want to know the reason why because a lot of times the things that we would end up doing would just be pointless. It's like yeah. fucking algebra yeah. in seventh grade. What <laughs> am I going to use this for for the rest of my life? Why am I doing this? If you can give me a tangible reason, I would love to continue on. But if not, see ya. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, man. So I think now's a great time to take our first break. Thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to kind of package, unpackage uh, 2015 and beyond. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often, Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-Day Pilot Program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. All right, we are back, and the the year now is 2015. You you get this, and you, you your last experience in the restaurant industry is really um, a good experience before breaking off to go do your own thing and to get take a break from uh, you know being in the kitchen, right? Hmm. Um, so you, you leave with like this good experience, and you say to yourself. I'm going to take what? Did you know how much time you want? Why? What was the point of time off? What was going on with that? Uh, that time, um, I, you know, I had a girlfriend that I met at the Bristol. Um, and so that was 2009. We had started dating. Um, she was still with me. 
Um, and at that time, we had just gotten married. Um, I left, you know, 2015, took my honeymoon and went to Costa Rica for two weeks, left my phone at home. And it was the first time in 10 years that I wasn't just inundated and crushed with work on a daily basis. It was basically like, you know, me and my friends, I have a core group of friends that I've, I've had since kindergarten. We still talk pretty much daily. And they all say like, I basically went to jail for 10 years. Like you don't see anybody. Well, you know, I was kind of honest or uh, honestly thinking like, was there, was there more to this break? Did you hit a point of burnout? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, in, in Cause the, the, we don't always put that in the website description of our story. No. And, and, <laughs> and but I also, I think that's necessary. I yeah. think you have to experience that. Um, there was a, you know, no matter how good the people are that you're working for, there's still this desire of like, I'm still making somebody else's money. I'm still making somebody else's, um, you know, it's not, it's, it's a lot of, it's my work. It's my name it's my recipes, et cetera. I want to, benefit from that as much as i possibly can that was part of it the other part was i was fucking tired mm-hmm. <laughs> and i was just um i was my wife who's um at that time you know uh was my girlfriend school teacher we had completely opposite schedules didn't see her um and there was this desire and need to basically just decompress and take a minute and as i'm sitting on a beach in costa rica it was like I'm not going back to work. <laughs> I'm just, yeah. I'm done. Yeah. Um, and you know, we had some, there was uh, my older brother was diagnosed with cancer. It was a lot of things that were going on um, in personal life that I needed to address. Um, and I, and when you're working in the industry, the way I was working, there is no time to address those things. Yeah. It was a 10 in the morning to midnight job, six, seven days a week. Yeah. Um, and the days, if you did get your two days off a week, they were usually spent sleeping until noon, drooling, drooling, <laughs> yeah. recovering from some sort of you know yeah. beverage or whatever you were taking the night before. Yeah. Um, and so there was just uh, there was a, a need for me um, to just take a step back, yeah. um, crispy. And at that point, I just didn't think. I didn't know. I had no direction. I had no idea yeah. where I was going. I had these skill set. I knew how to cook. I yeah. knew how to run a restaurant. There's a lot of being said right now that this experience that you went through in 2015, mm. there was like a mass this experience in 2020. Oh, absolutely. Which I think is a big reason why we're so slow to come back because yeah. we were forced. We all had our feet in the sand in Costa Rica. You mm. know, maybe yes. that was someone's living room but still pretty fucking comfortable yeah. right like we, we had a chance to stop and be at peace and to reflect and we said to ourselves do i want to come back the same level yeah. do i want to do that again um I, I think a lot of people that happened to a lot of people all at once so i think that, that that plays into what's happening right now i think the lesson at that time and 2020 reinforced is it's food yeah. It's only food. Yeah. It's not life and death. We're not saving lives out here. We're feeding people. We're making sure they have a good time. But it's food. Yeah. And and that's such a departure from you know, I look back at where the path, the career path that I've taken and purposefully seeking out these just very difficult situations or restaurants to work in that really demanded everything from you. And Looking back at the perfection, the seeking, the, the constantly like refining. When you're at the Fat Duck, they were working on one dish for 
three fucking months. <laughs> How is this possible? <laughs> like this, it's the same thing every yeah. day. And for whatever reason, there would be one thing off, and they'd be like, "Scrap it Point for zero one percent better every yeah. time." And that's, and I appreciate the hell out of that. I really do. But, but going through these things, and at the end of the day, it's like it's fucking food, man. Mm. Like at the end of the day, you're gonna shit it out. Yeah. Um. And so it was. <laughs> um, life. Yeah. And so <laughs> I think that was the realization that. You know, in 2015, I need a break, um, and and that's kind of a friend of mine called me and was like, "Hey, we're we're doing. You're still involved in the restaurants, but you're not going to be sitting there working service on a nightly basis. You're not going to be, um, you know, if somebody calls off. I live in Chicago. There, you yeah. know, it was a commuting. I was commuting to, you know, Charlottesville, Virginia, and 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 um, uh, Mississippi. So I couldn't live there, and that was part of it. You, yeah. I had to figure out how to do, how to get them to do the things that we were trying to get them to do, while not being there. Yeah, and that was the first kind of introduction to that aspect of the business, where constantly people just think that you know people go out to eat, they think the chefs in every single restaurant. That it's probably not the case at all. Time. Well, it's yeah. not the case at all times. I'll yeah. tell you that. But when you're in the chef's restaurant who's in multiple different cities there's no chance that that person's in all those restaurants yeah. at that same time and um You're that was maybe their recipe yeah but not and maybe the people them. that they yeah. put in charge yeah. but they don't know any they don't know who's working garmage that night yeah um the time it's not even their recipe they could be somebody <laughs> they put in charge's recipe absolutely yeah so um that was my first introduction to i guess that concept in this industry that um, and so I was able to kind of open, like I said, on a, on a very relaxed pace, if you will. Um, but it also got me into different parts of the country that were not a major metropolitan city. So what were the biggest lessons you learned in terms of what you're describing right now is having a system dependent operation, not a people dependent operation, a people dependent operation. If you pull one of those people, AKA the chef out of it, mm. the food's not being cooked that night. Right. Yeah. So, but if you have systems and processes, yep. a recipe is a system. Yep. Right. What did you learn about building these these system dependent operations? Uh, you still need the right people. Yeah. <laughs> you have to um, you have to hire right, but at the same time, um, organization is so important. It's 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 not even funny for a systematic. You know, I got a lot of the systems that I was fortunate to learn were let us entertain you systems from City of Chicago, huge massive restaurant group. That that's what they do. Systems are their thing. Inventories. Everybody that I learned from was trained in those uh, from those systems and from the organizational standpoint. Um, but just doing doing the tasks and actually following through the systems, you won't fail. As soon as you stop, as soon as you like, there'd be places that we'd walk into and you'd see just a hundred clipboards. And I was just going to say we walked in here. 30 of them were filled out. I walked in. The first thing we saw when we walked in were people that you have working here on uh, step stools with clipboards yep. going through, going, yeah, going through the checklist, yes. going and, through the inventory. And I was like, I was like, okay, this is a good sign. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, but it all comes back to that discipline. It all comes back to the patience and the understanding. Like if you see it through the system, won't fail you. You have to do it though. And, and part of is the biggest job that, or the biggest lesson I had to learn is you, you can create every system in the world, but you still have to follow up and make sure that those systems are being done. So a, a, a checklist for the checklist. Absolutely. And it goes above beyond uh, and a above checklist that. for the checklist checker for the checklist checker. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it sounds silly, but it's true. And that's it. Part of it is, is, is so, you still have control over, over a lot of, 
a lot of stuff, but it allows that person to also have, you know, not everybody works the same way. Yeah. So to put this in context, the line cook is doing the checklist. Mm-hmm. The sous chef, the sous chef is checking that line cook's checklist. Yeah. The executive chef is checking the sous chef, checking the checklist. Yes. Yeah. And then there needs to be those layers to keep accountability. Yes. Um, but you're talking about systems. Um, and again, put yourself in the shoes you were in 2015. There's no book for this. Mm. What systems do you need? Like, what are the list of systems? I mean, maybe that's too broad of a question. Or, no, but I like, mean, what are the systems most restaurants that fail miss? Well, um, inventory, I think, is we have, we have a system for inventory. We have an accounting system. We have an AP like invoices have to come in accounts payable <laughs> they have to be paid yeah um we have uh you know who's who's doing payroll who's um what are the what is the accounting system that you're using in general is it quickbooks is it piece of paper is it excel yeah like when we first started this restaurant we didn't have any subscriptions services it was an excel sheet and it was built by me, yeah. and it was like, I'm going to teach this to whoever's going to hopefully do it, but running through the restaurant, um, it was really hard to to keep those systems organized because it's kind and of from scratch. you doing it, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then what I le- realized was like, yeah, I created these awesome systems, and yay for me, I did it. Yeah. But no one else knows my systems <laughs> because it's all in my head. It wasn't this like structured... It wasn't because I'm the one doing it. And unless you're actually standing next to me and I'm ripping you through and showing you exactly how to do every single thing that I do, it wasn't the same. So that's when we actually started going out and, and, and using some of these other. Um, how did you prioritize that? Um, to like to the, Which systems to outsource? Uh, like whatever to outsource I can. Man, I, it's all just been a growth process of like, hey, I can't. I don't have the time to do. It would start suffering. That part of the business would start well, wherever the, the most pain was. Yes, <laughs> because you're on to something else. And whether that was staffing issues that necessitated me to be pulled in a different direction, um, I think getting to the point where we were able to actually, you know, we opened the restaurant with the chef de cuisine. Um, uh, his name is David Chapman. He's amazing. He doesn't. He's not here anymore. But we didn't have the resources and money to continue his progress. So it was, yeah, he was a chef de cuisine, but he never actually got to do that role, right? Um, Getting lasting, you know, this is our fifth year now, um, and I think it's. I feel like we're just getting started, and 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 that's just not like the amount of growth and the amount of, you know, especially with COVID and all the bullshit that we just went through. Um, I finally feel like the public, the general public, the city knows we're here, and now comes enough to frequent us to have enough revenue to allow us to grow and put people in those positions to actually do their jobs where someone can actually go back and check the checklist before it was like, yeah, these things are here. And if I was working the station, I wouldn't do any checklist because it was my systems and I knew exactly what I'd do. That's setting a terrible example one for everyone else. So, so one of the questions I wanted to ask about this, this period from 2015 to 2017 before opening daisies, um, in opening other restaurants and doing all these things for other restaurants, what were the biggest lessons that you think you learned about opening restaurants that served you the most with Daisy's? Oh man. Um, you're always going to be over budget and over time. I yeah. know that. Um, whatever you think it's going to take longer at 50%. Yeah. I mean, it's, and that's, it's, it's true every single time we've done this. Um, the importance of making sure Everybody is recognized 
is really difficult. Especially, it's very easy when you're focused on, um, and when I say recognize, it's basically like gets FaceTime, gets interaction, gets the attention that they need to do their job, the resources that they need to do their job, right? So like when, I, when we first opened here, you know, being the only man, uh, operating partner, um, you know, we had, it was me, it was uh, Keith, who was our, essentially our general manager, um, and you have prep cooks, you have dishwashers, you have line cooks, you have sous chefs. Um, you can't train them all at the exact same time. And when you're starting a brand new restaurant, especially a restaurant for, we're not part of a group that is extending another restaurant at that time. We're, we're an independent neighborhood restaurant that no one's ever heard who I am. No one, for the most part, knows what we're doing here. Um, it's really hard to hire. It's really hard to, to get people, unless you have a, a, a group of individuals to come with you from other restaurants, which we had a, you know, a couple of people who came with us. Um, as soon as you don't give the resources to the people to do their jobs and then you hold them accountable for it, you're going to lose those individuals. Yeah. Until you give them everything that they need. And it's really hard to do that and the attention. It's really easy to just be like, this is fucked up. Who fucked this up? Why did they fuck it up? And go back to... And it's like, it's not their fault. No one actually showed them how to do this. Yeah, they didn't have the right training program or the right manual or the right checklist or the right, I don't know, whatever, or the right tool sure. to do it. And I, I think a lot of that is just maturity yeah. from my standpoint and understanding like how and when to give as much attention as you possibly can, but also when not to freak out, when not, like what is the, you know, these people are coming here um, for a myriad of different reasons. Uh, a lot of my career, I've always projected my career aspirations on everybody else. Um, and just expected them because I yeah. thought that that's the reason you're here for. You want to own your own restaurant? That's just not the case. Yeah. Um, I had a really I struggled with that aspect of things for a long time. But I think letting go and letting, like I said, like it, it all comes back to just hiring a lot of the right people um, and trusting them to do the thing. But in the beginning of the restaurant, there's, it's chaos. It's yeah. very hard unless you have a group of individuals that you've worked with before and you can have help teach those lessons. Um, when we opened here, we didn't have most of that. It was a couple people that I, I knew they knew how I wanted yeah. things done. Well, I think it's important to point out that I think there is uh, an evolution to systems. Like you don't want trying to get your systems to be perfect, to, to to be what holds you back from starting, right? Mm. Because it, it's never going to be perfect. And uh, I think also if you put so much time into thinking you know what's going to happen, like, oh, I'm going to set it up like this. This is how it's going to be. And then you turn, then you open the doors and you're like, holy shit, I was so wrong. Yeah. Like, th- it's not going like this. And then yeah. you have to break down all those systems mm-hmm. and, re- and rebuild them. So, like, go in with loose systems and then be ready to, like, 1% better every day. Yeah, know? and a lot of... You learn from previous experiences, and a lot of the systems that we took were from restaurants that weren't built this way. Yeah. So those systems don't just automatically fit into this box here. Yeah. Um, you know, we never. We also didn't have the luxury of having a lot of the positions that some of these systems were meant to be for. Like, yeah. some of these were meant specifically for the office manager to take. We didn't have an office manager. Yeah. We didn't have an office manager until this year. Yeah. Um, it took five years for us to get that. So who's, you know, for us to 
for me to get a menu change in and push the menu or work pasta or expedite service or whatever it was, a lot of those systems had to be farmed out sometimes to multiple people as well. Um, so that was a learning lesson where you, you can't just take other people's systems and drop them into anywhere you're going. You have to have time. And there are no two restaurants. There's no two restaurants. No, yeah. absolutely. Uh, so what was the vision for Daisy's? So, uh, Osteria di Tremonto, Chris, uh, introduced me to handmade pasta and it became one of these kind of obsessions, if you will. Um, pasta in general, Italy as a country. Um, I'm not Italian. I don't have an Italian background. There's no Nona sitting over a stove teaching me the <laughs> lifelong lessons, but as a culture, as the history, I just kind of just fell in love with it. Um, never going there, never knowing anything, eating the food, what I thought was Italian in this country, um, and, and growing spaghetti up, meatballs. spaghetti meatballs, <laughs> you know, um, it, it was just Alfredo. Like, it's just not, it's yeah. not the case. Right. Um, and really learning, I got to learn, I was challenged, um, to learn about the country, the history, the culture, the people, before anything was ever allowed to go on a menu, it was if I put something up, it was like, "What's what's the inspiration for this?" Not because I like fucking whatever it was. It was the history, and yeah, this is story. why the seasonality. This is what we have available. This is the history of this dish and why we're doing it. Um, but that, to me, for whatever reason, I really grasped, and I like the you know at that time I liked the one on one attention. I'm sitting here dealing, learning a new skill set, learning the patience and the understanding of what it, the amount of work it takes to, to do those things. Um, and I carried that through. So at the Bristol, you know, we weren't a pasta restaurant, but it was like a nose tail charcuterie, um, you know, pig thing going on at that time. But the next thing you know, it was like my station, my station. We had one pasta. Next thing you know, we had two pastas. Next thing you know, we had five handmade pastas. We don't have prep cooks. I'm making everything. Yeah. So, that became, hey, let's take this restaurant, it's pasta, the five pastas, and blow it up into its own restaurant, yeah. which was Belena. And that restaurant was more of the um, embrace of Italian, but m- Midwest Italian. And I think that was the first time the, the actual philosophy of what Italian food, uh, how I approach it, kind of came to light for myself. And that was you eat what's in season, you eat what's around you, as simply as you possibly can with the best ingredients you possibly can find. And that to me is Italian food and it doesn't have to be in Italy necessarily. And so what we took for this restaurant was, you know, if the Midwest is a region in Italy, what does the food look like? So it's Italian cooking values in America. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not going to, again, I'm not Italian. I didn't, I'm not, this is just I'm utilizing, I'm Italian, but I don't look like I'm, I'm utilizing <laughs> what I want. You know what we have available to us. Um, the whole, you know, their entire culture, peasant food, and the things that the things that come out of struggle, the the amazing products, the amazing um, dishes, uh, and how they take the basically the throwaways and make them just amazing. Yeah, really appealed to me. Yeah. Um, the whole getting to know your farmer uh, it spoke to me uh, coming from kind of that background from a youth. Um, I met a guy, I met a farmer, uh, Marty Travis, who's from Spence Farm in Illinois here. He's like Yoda um, when it comes to the farming scene and, and the things that he's been able to um, accomplish in his career um, and with restaurants and from a product standpoint, but from 
ethics and morality of how we eat as a society in this country. Yeah. Um, really, really, you know, um, spoke to me as well. Um, and so this restaurant, um, you know, I knew I always wanted my own and, and there was a point in time and I don't even know why. Um, but I was like, I, you know, I'm really into this barbecue. I, I think I'm going to do a barbecue restaurant. And my wife looks at me and is just like, dude, you've been, you've literally been making handmade pasta for 20 fucking, what is wrong? Stay in your lane. What is wrong with you? Um, and so we decided to, you know, um, I ate at a couple restaurants around the country that were just amazing. Um, flour and water in San Francisco. Um, I have that cookbook. That's fucking it's great, awesome. man. Yeah. You know, um, Lilia in, in Brooklyn. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple of restaurants here in Chicago, but it was like, I wanted to do Italian food, uh, or pasta. I should say, I didn't necessarily want it to be the same pasta that everybody's doing. Um, in the city of Chicago, in, in New York, you go, you get red sauce, you get your chicken parms, you 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 get all that. You're New York Italian. Love it. One of my favorite foods to eat period like fried calamari all that whole thing <laughs> start to finish it is my you know it's probably up there in death real death row meals like you know mastacholi with the oh, <laughs> just fucking delicious but there's there's a lot of those restaurants here yeah and for me it was like i kind of you don't see any very rarely will you see tr- very traditional italian uh pastas inspired so bolognese and things like oh uh so you know my brother um my little brother uh, started a farm, took over our property in 2012, um, and was. You see our property, the, the house my you grew my, up on? my parents' property. He took over the field from the farmer from across the street. They were doing big ag, but is it still two farms? It is still. Uh, so he at in 2012, we grew up on eight acres of land. Got it. That was being farmed corn, soy rotations, big agriculture. Got it. He took that over, kicked them out, basically. Yeah. And said, I'm going to plant this as an organic farm, was whatever. Was there a process to rejuvenate that soil? Oh, yeah. I bet. Uh, <laughs> it was stripped. You know? So it, he went, and for years, he, he went along that. Um, struggled, new to it. He, was, he, was, he had a corporate job. He worked yeah. for John Deere. Um, he was... Uh, Great. Yeah, I was like, it was yeah, perfect. Maybe he had some hookups. <laughs> <laughs> it actually worked out pretty yeah. great. But um, he ended up... Um, Taking that over, started with 25 chickens, made all of our eggs for the pasta at Belena were coming from him. And then I just started asking him, hey, can you grow this? Can you grow this? Can you grow this? Can you grow this? And the next thing you know, he's providing us with a ton of stuff. We were a main content, uh, uh, a main customer for him. Um, and then when I had left there, it, you know, he had other accounts in the cities. He was going to farmer's markets and things like that, but left a void as well. And you know, I kind of conned him into this whole thing. Um, <laughs> and so part of it was like, hey, I want to I want to help him out as much as possible, obviously. Yeah. So we started talking in the first after the first year we were here, a farm became available in Michigan. Um, my wife is from uh, St. Joseph area in Michigan. Um, and one of our our actually our only fruit uh, fruit purveyor. The only fruit that we use comes from her. She's in that area of Michigan, uh, Abby Klug from Klug Farm. And, you know, uh, my wife knew her high school, all these things. We had a great little relationship just working in restaurants. And she had an opportunity to buy somebody's farm off market. And it was like, hey, these guys are leaving. They're going to Mexico. First um, refusal. Yeah. yeah. Would you be interested yeah. before it hits the market? And it was a 
33-acre farm. I told him, and and next thing you know, he bought it and basically moved the operation over there. We still have the eight acres up here, um, and we use that for certain things because they don't grow quite as well in, yeah. in Michigan as they do here. Um, so we have these two locations now that we kind of – that is a major source of um, – uh, direction for the restaurant. Yeah, we what goes in the pastas now is basically what we have available. Not everything comes from this farm. Yeah. It's absolutely impossible. We still get lemons. We still get limes yeah. and oranges. Do we, what you we, can. Do, we have to yeah. do it. But the, for focal points and things like that, we try to do as much as we can to be as seasonal, um, as ethically produced as possible. We still use cor- you know we still use broadliners and corporations here and there. But yeah. like, if the dish is radicchio, it's going to be coming from a local source. That's the best product that we can possibly find. Um, and so, like, so are you is he growing grains for you to mill and using the pasta? He's not, no. Up? So we okay. we we do have Marty from Spence Farm. Um, the Yoda that was referenced earlier, he grows some grains for us for what we use for pasta. Um, he has a co op situation going on now. He's he's basically graduated into. He has a bunch of farms down in central Illinois that this farm grows this amazing, grow nothing but this. We'll, we'll make sure it sells. So through his um, network, we get a lot of our grains from there. We also import uh, a lot of the flour that we use from Italy. They just, um, some of the things that they do there, we just so, do not have the artisans here to produce. I'm kind of interested. So from like a business <clears throat> perspective, mm-hmm. right? Going into family or business with family, um, direct purchasing from the farm yeah um how does this help your bottom line um it it we from a bottom line perspective it it doesn't necessarily you still got to take care of your brother just right because his family's not it's not it a away. discount and yeah. that's i think that's a misconception um it's a pain in the ass i'm not gonna lie um but we Which part of it's been all of it to communication the expectations you know we don't we don't work for each other. We know that. We work together. Um, but it also, there will be things that we want him to grow, and they're just not lucrative. They're not, like they're, They don't make money. They're, it's a waste. of. of um, we can't take everything also. Yeah, he can't do everything for no. you. He's got to run his he, business. Absolutely. Like we can't, We're not to the level where, not yet in terms of volume, where we can solely rely, he can solely rely on one outlet. Mm-hmm. Um but we complement each other because it's like, hey, you know I'm going to take this from you. You know I'm going to take this amount from you. We're not going to any other source because, one, you grow it better than a lot of the places we go to. And you're going to fit the spec that we want. Yeah. So if we want it a certain way, it's very easy for us to be like, hey, we want them like this from now on. There's also an, impe- an appealing narrative there that it's brothers helping each other out. Yeah. That's a part of the brand. It's yeah. a part of the story. And it sells. Let's be honest. Like I'm sure it yeah. helps. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. People want to get behind that. Absolutely. That feels good, right? Absolutely. Um, so one thing I'm kind of curious about, what changed? after two years or th- yeah two years of taking time off um, you said you kind of you were burnt out you weren't yeah. going to go back but here you are yeah not you're not you're not even back as an employee you're back as an owner which is arguably even more stressful you know so what what changed in you what, what made you want to come back being able to build my life around the work where I wasn't being um, it wasn't dictated to me where I had to be, when I had to be. I had the goal of, you know, we wanted to start a family. We wanted kids. I saw a lot of the people that I worked with um, where you're kind of pigeonholed into certain positions, if that's the case. If you want your relationship and your with your children and your family to be successful um, outside of work, um, because a lot of times 
the family would have to come to work to see yeah. you. Yeah. Um, I had to figure out a way that I wasn't basically... You wanted to bake balance in. Yes. And build my life around work and work around my life as opposed to you have to be here from nine to five every day. So what does that look like? What did you do? How did you accomplish that? Do you feel like you're accomplishing it? I do. I, yeah. I spend... Um, I've been very fortunate and I, my wife's a full-time school teacher. Yeah. Like we, we both work full-time jobs. We, um, to accomplish that, uh, at the time we lived maybe three blocks away. And so I would come here in the morning. I would set up the prep. Um, you know, I would take my, my son to daycare. He was born one month before the restaurant opened. So, you know, my wife with the school teaching, they get uh, maternity leave. She had a couple months for maternity leave. So for the first few months, she was home with him. Um, and she took a lot, basically took a lot of that burden on herself, which mothers do. And it's, um, but I'm very active on a daily basis. So what I was able to do was come here, set up on a daily basis, set the shift up, receive the product, put the people in place, get everything, 3 o'clock, 3.30, 4 o'clock, have pre-shift, as soon as pre-shift was over, I would go back to my house, check in, cook dinner, sit with them for an hour, come back, work service. That was the first maybe year of the restaurant. Um, we closed the restaurant two days a week. I think it was the biggest um, decision that I personally made. And it wasn't just for me. It was for the entire staff as well. And it was like, we need a break. Monday, Tuesday? Monday, Tuesday. Yeah. You need a break. I had to ensure that that break was there. Yeah. This is a big mistake I see a lot of first-time owners making. <clears throat> they think to themselves, I need to be here all the time. Yeah. I need to I won't make it unless I'm here all the time and my people know I'm here all the time. Mm -hmm. But when you're first getting started, you can't really necessarily afford the payroll. Like you got to be there all the time. Yes. And we're not you know, we're not special and we are special people but yeah. like you know what i'm saying like i do we're not superhuman correct you know like even we can break no correct. matter how bad we want mm -hmm. it no matter no matter how bad you want it you will hit your breaking point you know and you gotta bake you gotta bake that bounce in. and you can't you can't be i don't know what's the word i'm looking for you can't have guilt for doing that no it's okay and being able you know somebody uh, i'd always wanted my own restaurant and at that time i kind of put it off to because i was enjoying not being at work on a daily, you know, at work on a daily basis, but the consulting thing was working for yourself, and it was a glimpse of like, hey, I can do still do things yeah. and have a life around this, and still dedicate a lot of time to the restaurant industry, etc. Uh, I did a party for one of our investors, um, and he came after the party. He he basically just said, hey, would you be interested in cooking this party for us? It's, you know, I've got some colleagues. I want to make sure that we have a good time. It's barbecue. It's really low key. Blah blah blah. And we went all out. All right, we went. You know, me and my <laughs> me and my wife, um, who basically she was a server. She she comes from a restaurant family, so she's very understanding. I'll say that yeah. first and foremost is a huge part of the success. Um, but they came to me and said, if you ever want to do anything, like we're blown away. If you ever want to do anything on your own, we would love to talk and. I blew it off at first and I was like, yeah, whatever. But then I actually really started thinking about like, okay, well I do see a path back into this industry that working for myself. Um, you know, I'm taking the risk, you get the reward, but at the same time, um, I like to be in control. And, and part of that 
was a, a path for me to control more of my my destiny, if you will. In yeah, this as industry. an owner, you do have that sense of autonomy. You, you do have that sense that I'm busting my ass, but mm. I'm doing it for my vision. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you still work for the bank. Yeah, <laughs> you still work for the investors. It's not all fun and games, um, but it allowed me uh, a path to you know I might not necessarily um, have the traditional times that most people would spend with their families yeah but i would get to spend the mornings with my kid i would get to spend the afternoons with them i'd put them in bed as feed feed them dinner you would have those two days off a week yeah that were really really important i couldn't work service because the restaurant was closed and so many times you we, i would i would be working in seven day operations and other restaurants and they would be like hey you know this guy didn't show up you have to be here and you're like dude Fucking come on, man! And yeah. after the you know fourth week in a row, and you're working twenty straight, you know, I, I remember I used to have counts and be like, oh, twenty six straight days, like, wow. and we would be on those. And it wasn't a, it wasn't like a one time thing a year. It was like, hey, three or four times based upon the schedule. Who's taking vacation? Who doesn't show up? What the holidays are? You're just you'd look at a calendar and be like. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ. Well, I got uh, 28 straight more days, and then I'll have two days off. And you're like, it's uh, not a way to live. No. Um, and so we really tried to focus on that here as a neighborhood. My my wife would bring um, my, my son in to eat all the time at 5 o'clock in, in, in the case that we didn't get to see him. Um, so they spent a lot of time. The staff here got to know my yeah. family. It became very personal in terms of the neighborhood. Got to yeah. know my family. I don't know why we don't do that more often. I, like, uh, it's weird. Like, you go to different cultures. I was in Thailand for a total of six months, and there are babies mm-hmm. at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, like the families yeah. there. Kids are running around. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're literally playing. Like, you'll be eating a, an amazing meal, and over here, like, literally, the kids are on a trampoline. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and like, but that was totally cool. It's a part of the culture. And they don't, they, that's kind of back to this. There's this not work life balance. It's your life's work. Yes. And I think we're kind of stuffy over here. And like, we were trying to create this illusion all the time of like transporting you. Oh, I'm going to transport you to Thailand. Well, guess what? In Thailand, <laughs> Their kids are jumping on the trampoline right next to you while yeah. you're eating your meal, and they have no shame about that. Yeah. What 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 what's going on with that? We, I I mean, we as a I'll say as a as a youth when I was growing up, we didn't go to many restaurants just because you know we it was not in the budget for four kids to eat, so we didn't know how to behave ourselves in restaurants. So I think a lot of that exposure from day one is necessary to get your kids to understand how to maybe, you know, yeah. um, sit through a meal at a restaurant that they don't need an iPad or a phone or some other no, distraction. I'm talking the restaurant owner's kids are like, you're in my house right yeah. now. Well, we embrace <laughs> and we embraced since day, like day one, I think it was a conscious decision from myself, from, from Keith. We wanted to create an environment that was conducive to people coming to eat here any day of the week. Yeah. And to do that, you need to have kids in the restaurant. Yeah. You need to be, you need I grew to pander to restaurant. I was there all the time. I knew everybody. And, and I, and man, it just gives such a different perspective on, on life as well. Outside of that, it's, we also got to sit and watch, you know, neighborhood regulars, kids grow up in this restaurant yeah. and they're, they're part of our lives then like 
come to you know we've had it where it's like hey come to functions yeah. come to birthday parties we, i learned how to shoot the shit when i was five years old and that's <laughs> sitting at the breakfast bar that's talking a, to the the you know, old weird dudes yeah. that come in I mean, and drink coffee a, that's a skill you need for the rest of your <laughs> life you hey, serving me well exactly. <laughs> look where you are now right right so and, but i think that's a huge um we recognize this neighborhood we're in logan square in chicago and the neighborhood was flipping and changing and a lot of people my age were moving in with their families with their kids and they're having kids and they needed a place that was comfortable and wouldn't basically shun them for coming in with their kids yeah we have the front windows would be open up people would see a bunch of kids sitting there and their kids would behave themselves and their kids you know acted um and we've definitely had situations where it's people running around etc but our staff embraced it um everybody we hired we they knew what they were getting into it's like hey we're we're gonna make sure that these people are welcome here. They got money too, and they're gonna come back on every Wednesday as opposed to every Friday and Saturday. Yeah. So, man, it's hard to believe we're over an hour and a half recording into this thing. It goes by so fast, which is you know why I just let it go, man. Yeah. I don't want to put people box people into an hour because a lot of great stuff came out of this conversation. But I do want to make sure we talk about uh, your choice to oh, did you open with the service charge or did this come later? We it came later. Um, it came after uh, COVID. And it had to because during COVID, everybody's jobs kind of changed. Yeah. We have a, you know, we basically said, hey, if initially everyone was sent home, including myself, just go home, we'll figure it out. We had a month, restaurant closed for a month. When we reopened, um, the city's restrictions here in Chicago was like, you know, capacity restrictions, distance restrictions. You know, we're a sixty-seat restaurant. We're a thousand square feet, and and we would we pack people in here, right? Um, and so, COVID was not great for our business model. People eating basically six inches from each other um, wasn't possible anymore at that time. And so, yeah, you lost half your volume, if not more. Oh, at least yeah. we had when we were able to open with restrictions. We had twelve tables in yeah. here. We currently we have twenty-two, thirty-two tables. So we didn't even have half of our tables. Yeah. Based because of the distancing restrictions. So servers, you know, everybody kind of went their own ways. The people, we reached out to everybody and said, hey, look, we just want to know what your intentions are. A lot of people went home, whether that was the coasts or wherever they were from. Um, but then the people who stayed, uh, you're not just a server anymore. You're working a grocery store. We pivoted all these different ways. We're a grocery store. We're answering lunch, phones. Yeah. answering phones. You're answering phones. You're a food runner. You're a cook. You're a dishwasher. You, your job that you used to do is, is not well, only legally, that. Legally, I can't let you take tips. Correct. <laughs> and so we had to kind of, you know, get creative with, you know, there was times when it was just salary employees working. They're yeah. not allowed to legally take yeah, tips. Exactly. And so what are you supposed to do? Um, so we basically, that was part of the reason. Um, the other reason is that uh, it, it kind of, it takes away the, the power of the guests could, could potentially have over that individual at yeah. the table. It shifts the power dynamic and it doesn't allow people to potentially abuse the situation. I think this is more significant if you have a bar. And we actually talked about this recently. I had Edward Slingerland Slingerland on the show, the author of Drunk. And uh, that's an excellent book if you are serving alcohol. I think everybody should know the history of alcohol and our relationship to alcohol over time. And I'm not talking since, I'm not talking about like 400 years ago. I'm talking like 10,000 years ago. It's oh, a sure. fascinating book. Um, but we, he talks about like the, like how we need to do away with tipping culture because when a bartender um, is making the decision of like, should I give them one more drink? And they know that that patron's 
holds the, the bartender's livelihood in their hands, yeah. like they're, they're going to be more likely to serve that extra right. drink because they want to get a good tip. Absolutely. So, I mean, I think that there's a, I think, I really do think that we need to have this conversation of like, do we need to just, you know, 86 tipping culture? I mean, my, I mean, my vote is yes. Um, it's also, I think it makes it so that, um, you know, one of our big focuses that missions, if you will, um, is, is to kind of get around changing the, the, the job and the, what, I guess, what would it be? It would, it, what, the service industry traditionally is looked at in a lot of places as like a transitionary job. Yeah. It's not a career. Mm-hmm. It's a place where you're going to get to the next, get place. to the next place or learn the next thing. And yeah. so um, I think just like the way I look at it is like, just like any other service related industry, whether it's a plumber coming to fix your, your pipes um, or, you know, that person, as soon as they leave their facility, they charge you a fee to come to the restaurant. There's a service fee that's involved. And I think we looked at it from the perspective of like, we are providing a service. And if you don't want that service, you can take that food to go and you don't necessarily have to pay that service fee. If you sit down and we're going to actually take care of you, um, we want that service charge is going to be applied to the bill. And I think that for us was, um, it changes people's thought process around, I mean, this is actually, this is a career potentially. This person, this is what they do. This is why they're here. It's not, hey, I'm in, you know, an actor or I'm uh, learning this other thing outside of work. A lot of the people that I've been working with, we've been working with the guy who makes my pasta for 15 years. The the people who are in the front, we've got maybe a, th- a third of the staff's been with us almost since day one here. Um, and we're trying to create careers for these people as opposed to just stepping stones in their jobs for other things. I think from my perspective, it was a way to um, take it a little bit more seriously as well. Of like, We also, in my opinion, we provide great service. Yeah. And we make sure we do everything we can to do that. Do we always do that? Absolutely no not. No one is perfect and yeah. we will miss the mark and we want you to say something and we will adjust that. But it's also subjective and people, different experiences. I can't, like if you, you know, I can't affect the mood that you came into the restaurant with. If you're in a shitty mood that day and no matter what we do, it's going to be really hard to turn that around. And then that person's tips possibly going to be affected by that. Mm-hmm. That's not fair from my perspective. No. We provided you the service. We went above and beyond. We did everything we possibly could to make sure you had a great time. So what needs to happen for the, the collective industry to go, okay, we're done. Oh man, that's we're uh, done with tips. Let's just. I think I, I don't want to say anything. I want to hear what you're, if you have a. Well, <laughs> there's groups that lobby for these things, and there's a lot of polit- politics behind it. That's nothing's going to change until um, until some of that is addressed. I'll say that. I will say we do live in a very exciting times where um, when we're more connected than ever before, we're also more disconnected mm-hmm. than ever before. But I think a, a, a great byproduct of being connected is that information travels faster than ever before. Yeah. And if there's a good enough movement happening, it can touch everybody in every corner, every nook, every cranny of this country overnight. Yeah. And that's the cool thing. So if the message is strong enough, if the information's there, I think we can transformation, the cultural cultural transformation is exponential. Yeah. If you don't believe me, look how fast straws disappeared after there was a turtle on yeah, the yeah. end with a straw on its Yes. Yeah. Like overnight. Yep. 
And it's just proof that if we can deliver the message and we can hit a vein, we can make change happen overnight. But it, we need to start sharing perspective. And that's a big part of what I'm trying to do with this podcast yeah. is to give a, a voice to two leaders to not only share knowledge, but to evoke evolution and change and transformation in the industry to move in a better, more holistic place. It, it allows, you know, it allows us to distribute the service charge to everyone in the restaurant, as opposed to just the person who's taking your table as well. Somebody who comes from a kitchen, um, we were never tipped out. It, sol- it serves a lot of problems. It solves a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, it allows us to pay the people who work in the kitchen a much higher wage, a, a much higher wage than we were able to do previously. It yeah. also allows, you know, um, the the service staff to make a a, a very uh, still a very good rate um, from an hourly perspective. They basically are still in charge of, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do it. The way we do it is basically the the bill is um service charge applied we pay we pay sales tax on that for the record it has to be on the bill has to be on the bill just so you guys know you can't like you have to factor and i think that's a legal thing there has to be a service charge in order for this work just to protect yourself correct thinking about well and first and foremost everyone in the restaurant has to be making at least minimum wage and that's one of the so, so like with a tip credit um you can legally pay your servers service staff who's touching the table you can pay them sub minimum wage, and I think the f- I don't even know what the federal is right now. It's like two something, yeah, two fifty. You're telling me you can pay your employee two dollars and fifty cents, and the rest of it is made up by the tips, and those tips are dependent on the sta- on the customers who are coming in, the mood that they're in, and this. That's just come on. Yeah. So, and then there's a credit given back by the government for taxes at yeah. the end of the year, so they get you know you basically get a credit. We lose all that with this. Yeah. This costs us money mm. to do it this way. Um, so you got to be prepared to that have the legal conversations that you have to have depending on your state your jurisdiction etc city all they all have different state restaurant association they all have different stuff um and and ironically those those establishments are fighting these types of things too well because yeah i almost i hesitated to say that um yeah they're not in this game for this independent operator they're not no and and they're lobbying for the big companies they are and and you know, be careful what I say, but at the same time, I won't. They're not in our. They're not necessarily as much as they say they're in, uh, have our best interests, and they've helped definitely with things that we yeah. need, especially with COVID and all these things. But there's also a better way to do things, and if yeah. and if until those bodies get behind this, they're not for the independent operator right now. Yeah, and yeah. and that's our that's my issue with that. Um, we we the restaurant. Um, takes a portion of it we provide insurance benefits we provide a 401k with with these guys they have a retirement plan restaurant matches um but then we we uh redistribute some of that to the kitchen so they get a higher hourly wage and the servers get a, a and it's it's on every single bill if you sit down in the restaurant it's on the bill yeah is there anything we haven't discussed that you think um you're uniquely positioned to discuss or um an issue that you want to bring to the conversation before we start to make our way to the speed round um i don't know i don't know we talked about you're great man i love the conversation you <laughs> definitely can keep a conversation going for sure well uh, yeah i was gonna say as soon as you 
I can sit and talk all day long. <laughs> no, I love it. I, and and uh, I mean, honestly, I'd go here too. But my phone, my watch keeps buzzing, letting me know my parking meter is expired. And oh, there's sharks out here. I man. know. So I'm partially thinking about that. I'm not going to lie, but I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, and again, the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Um, on that note, how have you transformed? Who are you today versus the man you were when you got into this industry? Um, I think when we first opened, I when I first went to the one restaurant, I was a child. And I think at this point, having kids, a family, and the age I'm at, I'm almost 40 years old, um, the perspective of uh, I'm a lot more patient than I ever have been in my entire life. Mm. Um, things take time. Um, we are constantly, as a, as a, as a country, um, everything has to be instantaneous. Mm-hmm. And that just is not, the older I get, the more understanding I am that everything worth anything takes time Mm -hmm. and you have to have the discipline to stay the course and see things through and 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 it will hopefully all work out in the end chef i love this conversation one more quick break to thank our sponsors and we're gonna bust out a speed round this episode is brought to you by pop menu Look, I don't need to explain to you that restaurants have been hit hard over the past few years, which means restaurant owners and their staff have been working harder than ever. Trying to meet the demands of in-person hospitality can be demanding, which is why I recommend Pop Menu Answering. Pop Menu Answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity. This is because it uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines like, can I make a reservation or where are you located or what are your hours? And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system. Within the pop menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear and even send follow-up links via text message. Pop menu answering picks up your phone call 24-7, 365 days a year, allowing you and your team to focus on what matters most, your guests in-house. The time is now to prevent lost customers and impress your guests with pop menu answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off your first month plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month and learn more about pop menus, full collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable. We're back, and the first question I have for you is, what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Tenacity. What is your biggest weakness? Ooh. Oh, man. Uh, letting things go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. And that's a tough one. I, I can get behind that. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process when you're growing your team? What is one thing I ask? Yeah, or the thing you look for when you're building your team during the interview process. I ask every person I interview what their favorite color is. What's your what are your what's the answer you're looking for? Anything that doesn't throw them off. Okay. Of course. It's usually something that's peppered into they're just like, "Where is that coming totally out of does left that field?" Matter? And their response to it usually is like, "Then some people will get like, "Why is this person?" This <laughs> but it's usually something something yeah, something just, completely non-related to yeah, the actual interview process. I get you. What's your biggest challenge today? Uh, labor. How are you overcoming it? Patience. Yeah. 
Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Yeah, don't be a dick. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So something that's common within the four walls of your restaurant, not common throughout the industry. Um, oh, man, I don't. One, say it again. What is one uncommon standard of service? So something common within the four walls of your restaurant to go above and beyond the guest expectation, but not common throughout the industry. Uh, and I, I mean, I don't know how common it is, but we, we make sure we say hello and goodbye to every customer who comes through the door. Yeah, I think we get the hello part really well, but yeah. we forget the goodbye. No, we, we actually probably are the opposite. We make sure we say, Why? have a great night. Uh, it's the last impression impression right. you leave on the guest and in uh, there's been times we've dropped the ball and you'll see people who are aimlessly walking through the restaurant almost looking for that goodbye yeah. you know what's weird i don't know if i'm the only one who does this as a consumer as a guest but i make a point to say goodbye and thank you when yes, i walk out same. of the restaurant so we 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 make sure that you know service is always done until we're done but as every guest is leaving no matter who it is whether it's front of house, back house, if you were passing that individual, if they're headed towards the door, you say thank you, good night. I'll leave a McDonald's and be like, bye, thank you. Absolutely. And they're like, what? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I say it to, especially lately, I'll, if we're in like a retail store or something like that, I'll say it to the security guard walking out who's like stone faced staring at the wall <laughs> yeah. for the past six hours. And he's so like, oh, you see me? Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> awesome. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner? Oh. I don't know if this is popular, but setting the table. It's a, oh, you don't know. If that's I know popular. it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. most recommended it, book on the show. It but is, you got to go one step further and tell me your, your biggest takeaway from that book. Oh man, um, I mean the importance of hospitality in general. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I know that's probably a generic. I'll take it. I'll take it. What is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Spend time with as many people as they can who work with them. Hmm. It's hard. It is hard. It's, super but it's, hard. but it's so it's the difference that you get are after you, that experience. Are you familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yes. So you have your most physiological, physiological needs, food, shelter, right above that security. What's the next one being seen? Yeah. Being seen. I mean, that's it's the third most important thing behind food and security we just want to be seen and recognized. Yes. It's that important. There was a period in my career where I could probably count on one hand how many times someone actually said thank you. For, yeah. Or hey. And it's amazing oh, how yeah. far that will go. Oh, it's unbelievable. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've recently adopted or just maybe your favorite piece of te- technology in the restaurant uh, that has had a huge impact on communication, operation, profitability, efficiency, anything along those lines? I don't know if it's... Well, we use these handhelds, which have revolutionized some things for us. We don't necessarily use them at the table, but for our space specifically, they yeah. really expedited things. Handheld um, POS for for like what's the POS you're using? Toast. Okay. Um, there's a company called uh, RASI, which is our accounting yeah. system. They have really allowed us to. It's a one. You know, it's allowed me to free up a ton of my time from a payroll inventory cost management you can put all your recipes in there you can do all your inventories in there um but it's also you write every check they send the checks they send to the vendors for you it really cut out a lot of time um we got to them maybe two years ago and it has made my life unbelievably easier not the first time i've heard of rsi great company uh and this is the last question are you ready for it Mm. Mm. it's kind of a tough one too (laughs) 
you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. Mm. All the, the memories of you, your work, your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces you could live, leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Uh, have fun, first and foremost. One. Work hard. Two. <laughs> it's so simple. Um, I like that you put it in that order, though. Have fun, then work hard. And take time. Three. For yourself. Chef Joe Froman, man, I've really enjoyed today's conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. It's actually how I found you, uh, Chef Zach. Mm. I'm afraid Engel. Uh, did I say Chef his name? Engel, yeah. Engel, I said his name. I know I got corrected once for saying that wrong, but uh, Chef Zach called you out. Uh, really respect what that, that guy's doing. Um, who do you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest in the show? Yeah, there's too many to say. If I had to pick one, it would be our neighbor. Be you Jason. can pick multiple. It actually helps me out. Yeah, uh, Jason Hamill uh, from Lula Cafe. He's like a god in in the Logan Square restaurant scene, if you will, all of Chicago. Um, former colleague of mine, uh, Tony Quartaro, he's got a pasta business. He's just starting up. He's a good one. Um, Kevin Bain, which as you said you've already. Uh, let's see. Chris Pandel oh, from Swift and Sons. And Paul Verant from V Restaurant in Western Springs, Independent. He's awesome. And these are all in this area? Uh, Jason's right down the street. Uh, I mean, Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. Paul Verant is, uh, he has a restaurant in Chicago, but he's also in Western Springs. He's a little outside of the city, maybe 20 minutes. Okay. So but if yeah. I come back to town, I can, oh, yeah. I can hit you he's up. Great. <laughs> yeah, he's, his story is awesome. Beautiful. Uh, and how can we connect? Maybe if we were just inspired by your story, we uh, we vibed with what you were saying. Maybe we want to come work for you or at least or for sure. ask questions. What's the best way to connect? And it would be uh, daisieschicago.com. We have uh, links to – basically, you can get a hold of me. There is a, um, a link on the page for uh, hiring, but also press, but also basically general inquiries. We'll go straight to me. It's info at daisieschicago.com. If you go to our website, uh, daisies, D-A-I-S-I-E-S, chicago.com, um, would be the easiest way to get a hold of me or anyone on our staff. Chef Joe Frillman, thank you so much, my man. I just can't say thank you enough. There is no questioning. Yeah. You are unstoppable. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun to be here. The, the pleasure was mine. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Joe Frillman, for coming on, sharing your knowledge, and just being a great example of what hustle looks like and surrounding yourself with excellence, getting that experience, getting that perspective, traveling I loved it, man. Great stuff. And thank you for your time and knowledge. If you are finding a value in this podcast and you want more episodes just like this one coming your way at a regular consistency, we need your support. There's a ton of ways you can support the show. One way you can support the show is by letting us know who we should be making an example of. As you're listening to this, we just got back from Atlanta, but our next trip is scheduled to... Arizona. I think we're going to be hitting up Scottsdale and Phoenix majority wise, but anywhere in Arizona we're willing to go to, let us know who we should be making an example of. Who is everyone looking up to for inspiration? Who's the mentor? Who's the game changer? Who's the thought leader? Put them on our radar and thank you in advance. Also, 
Uh, you can support this podcast by supporting our sponsors, uh, supporting our affiliates. Those are the tools and services our guests recommend. You can share this podcast with anyone and everyone you know aspiring to be great in the restaurant industry. You can come hang out in Restaurant Unstoppable Network. And I'll be honest, I was a little quiet in the network for a while. It's because I kind of I created a situation where the network hinged on me and my presence. And that's one thing I've learned as the host of Restaurant Unstoppable is that you don't want to create people-dependent organizations. You want to create system-dependent organizations to put amazing people into them. And that's what my strategy is going to be with the network, just helping you, my listeners, connect with the tools, services, and individuals being referred to us organically and creating community around that. And then lastly, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Head over to youtube.com slash restaurant unstoppable. Uh, we are doing summaries of each episode over there, short 20-minute videos of our longer two-hour videos. And we also have shorts coming up over there, like behind-the-scenes stuff. Really cool. So that's it for today. I cannot say Goodbye without saying thank you to the people who help make this podcast possible. That's Sam from SavinSam.com uh, for the videography and the editing of that video. And Jared over at Sumadre Podcast for the copy and for the editing. Uh, so grateful for the people in my corner. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.